0: welcome to getting real with real estate the sinai podcast sinairadio.com check us out on instagram Sinai Radio, or listen to us on itunes your host karen bethfire real estate broker of the bethfire team every wednesday night 9 p.m getting real with real estate where we discuss your real estate topics any questions you have feel free we've been getting some nice topics uh, from buyers and sellers from you know you basically and you could email us office at the check us out the You website shoot us um, a DM on Instagram at the so feel free many ways to reach us or you could call 347-988-2526 so our topic today is just to recap last week we discussed about home buying we have a home buying guy a lot of you reached out we sent it to you so feel free to reach out i have been getting a lot of questions from buyers looking and they just want to know what the process is like it's just a personality some people i just go with the flow tell me the next step no problem and some of my buyers are could you just tell me like what are the next few steps like You know, a lot of sellers tell me how long it's on the market. How long do you think my home will be on the market for? Don't know. Not the real estate God. But I, you know, basically they want to know like once we have an offer, once we go into contract, what are their steps? So I write everything down and I put together this guide just to help people who, you know, want to, you know, just to calm their nerves a little bit. It's a big deal to buy a home. One of the biggest investments you'll make, most people would make. And just some critical questions I wanted to discuss today. In terms of choosing an agent, so the areas that I service in Brooklyn are Midwood, Madison, Marine Park, parts of Gravesend, and Sheepshead Bay, parts of it. And I have been finding that a lot of times, I've been sending, you know, homes out. My agents have been sending homes out to their clients, and they're like, "Oh, I looked it up, and I went to the listing agent. It's fine. You're not legally obligated to use me. We don't sign buyer's agreement, not yet." One of our goals um, if a buyer wants to work with us to sign like a buyer's agreement. And the um, interesting part is I have seen many, many times, not one, two, three times, like many times that buyers who I've been working with, working with my office, they'll call me up, you know, I'm in contract on a property and I want to, or I'm about to give an offer. I'm about to go into contract. There's so many issues that come up. And at the end of the day, like, they actually like to call me, call my staff. Um, because at the end of the day, that's who they trust. So sometimes I, I don't always say, but if it happens like four or five times and a buyer call me up, I'm like, oh, why don't you just call me up next time? I'll come with you. I can't give my real opinion on a house if I didn't see it. So that's sort of shifting in areas that I don't service, like downtown Brooklyn and other areas, this Manhattan Buyers agents are very common the buyers are loyal to their agent at the same time the agents loyal back they They know the buyer is relying on them for new listings that come up The area that I the area that I work in is a little different most homes don't go on the MLS some homes do our, All our homes go but many homes don't hit MLS a lot of pocket listings a lot of off-market There's not one central place so I could say there are 23 homes in Midwood ten just sold no such thing so it's a a little harder much we do more research than the average agent just in this aspect so choosing an agent and who you're working with has to go with your personality and sometimes could be they don't want to work some buyers don't want to work with my personality or they want someone that has tons of time which I don't always have so I get plenty of time Not, not even even not to my clients but it's just a matter of personality. And I always tell my own agents in the office that the reason some clients are choosing to work with you over others is the value you bring them. And the more you invest in yourself, and I'm constantly reading, learning, coaching, um, and actively um, subscribed to so many different, you know, updates and um, where the market, the pulse of the market, and I'm always searching and looking what's new. I like to listen to, you know, brokers who are out of Brooklyn to hear what where the market is and I like to basically keep pulsing on what's going on so choosing to work with a specific one agent over the other has so many benefits like just their negotiation skills their tactics I have seen so many times agents who give me an offer and it's a great offer and they just, just just say dumb things or they they don't know what to say they don't know what to ask They don't know how to present their client in the right way so and I'm thinking if they would I probably would have taken their client but for whatever reason the seller wasn't comfortable like the paperwork is all over the place it's not organized Um, the seller doesn't like that to work there's so many reasons so choosing an agent is critical yes there is a mindset and it's slowly shifting away from that but it's definitely bold and strong where I work that go to the listing agent and you're not going to stand a chance to get the house. I don't see that so much anymore in terms of being true. Go to an agent that, that is reputable, that you want to work with, and you'll get that house. Yes, sometimes buyers tell me, um, or I, have, I see homes that I think works for my clients, and I tell them, listen, that agent's not co-broking, it just happened to me. The agent's not co-broking, but go see it. This is their the agent's cell phone, go look at it. And from behind the scenes, I helped my buyer. My buyer just bought a house. The agent didn't want to co-broke. It's a disservice to sellers, I say, when in this market that agents don't want to co-broke. Two years ago when it was a real, you know, seller's market and homes were flying off the shelf. Yeah, very different with co-broking. But now I like to say you need the most exposure you can for your home in order for it to sell. It's just that's just the market that's just how it is so this is just some food for thought some questions before you choose which agent to work with instead of just saying oh you know someone just sent me this address look at the listing agent and fly over and see it with the listing agent it's not good karma it's not good um, not good ethics to do that if you don't like the agent that sent it to you and you feel they're not going to be able to do the deal you could bring that up happened to me in my office they felt it was a newer agent, and they felt they wanted to, to get my expertise. They And I explained to them, I said, I'm behind my agents 1,000%. So I'll, I'll be the one that negotiates just there the front, and I'm just doing everything on the back. So, um, you know, many people choose, you know, a real estate professional to work on based on, you know, okay, they're all the same, this one, that one, they got their license. But it's such a, it's, I see time and time again that, you know it makes a difference on the training the wording how you present it it's not always the offer there's different terms that you could sweeten the deal with and sometimes agents don't know that so i always say ask for personal referrals today everyone's very big into social media everyone knows everything so ask your friend you know you recently sold you recently bought who'd you use you know why did you like them it could be the reason they like them is not the reason you like them so you just have to look at the whole picture Um, and you could really interview the agent I would say interview the agent that you want to work with and say that you're making an investment in them and they're gonna have to make an investment back to you so different questions I would say is just ask them a little bit about themselves look for you know someone who's professional if if it's if you're texting back and forth, if it's a phone conversation, professional, their consistency, their responsibility. If you tell them you want to you know speak at a certain time, and they call you back, that's important. All those skills. When I get an offer from another agent, and it's professional, um, it's not from like I love homes at gmail.com. Like, you know, it's not from some AOL account. You know, like um, I don't know, Karen, 1980. You know. <laughs> At aol.com like invest in yourself I recently got a pamphlet in the mail a beautiful beautiful like a flyer like few page you know about a property in someplace upstate New York I don't even know where it was and I'm like oh the agent really went out of her way and she said maybe some of your clients are looking for a vacation home I thought that was brilliant brilliant um, very nice you could see they put time into the pictures it was colored nice quality of paper really nice I thought it was and they sent a few flyers to give it out and then I'm looking at her email address, and she was saying something that were up and coming in the market. I don't remember. There were two pictures, one on the front of the agent, one on the back. Didn't match. Both, I couldn't even tell it's the same person. And the email was also something weird, like, you know, we love homes at com or something weird, like we love homes 123. I'm like, you know, yeah, people do judge, even though you don't, you know. You shouldn't judge people based on the outside, but when it comes to negotiating and selling and you want them to represent you, you bet that people do judge you from from that. Like, put yourself together. So when I get offers from other agents that it's professional, it's from a normal email address, they address it to me or my office, a nice paragraph, thank you for letting us show the house, attaches my clients, and they attach everything nicely, not a forward of a forward, and I see the string a lot of times they forward me a forward and I'm like you just see that I see the string of all the emails and offers that you have given and you're it's just like funny sometimes so try to feel out you know your agent their professionalism and ask them straight out how many homes that they close, their company closed what's the credibility how confident you feel that they could do the deal and um, how many years they're in the business sometimes it's a positive or a negative you know when I started out six years ago exactly um i you know the first few deals that i represented the buyer afterwards when i closed like you know one of my first few sales they told me <laughs> the client told me they're like when i showed up to show them the homes they're like who's this young girl i didn't look that young uh, six years ago i don't know but like who's this young girl gonna sell us a house and um th- and they they shared that with me afterwards and they were like a little hesitant Um, I was just a buyer's agent. I wasn't representing the seller. So they were a little scared. They really wanted the house. And they're like, just your confidence, just I made them feel comfortable, I guess, even though I wasn't years in the business. So um, that's also important. I'm not saying that these questions are the end all, but it's just like different, you know, different critical questions that you can use as a conversation with your agent. And to a lot of you listening, it's a new concept. Oh, I have to interview an agent and work with a specific one as opposed to finding a house and then using that agent. No, you find the agent that you feel could just give you, you know, their honest opinion on what's on on the market, what's available. Why do they think you should offer this price? What's the history of the house? A lot of buyers call me up and they want to buy a house. Nothing to do with me. Like they already gave an offer in with another agent and um, a lot of the homes here are exclusive. I couldn't get them in or whatever the reason was. Um, Or they just follow me on Instagram, and they're like they want to ask me a question. I have no clue who they are so Sometimes there's a history. They're like if the house is on the market for like over a year It went for like four or five agents What's the story and sometimes I'll tell them the story if I know it. I'll say there you know There's a violation. There's this if I know the story I'll definitely share it and if I don't know sometimes being on the market 12 months doesn't mean there's an issue It just means the house came on the market before the market shifted from a seller to a buyer's market. It was the middle of the shift, and the buyers and sellers were not um or did not want to admit that their house is not worth what it was worth, and that they didn't want to admit that they could have taken a hundred thousand more last year, and they're not even getting that anymore. So having an agent that's very knowledgeable on the market, it's in they're in the market. Is just to help. They could tell you the story about a property. A lot of times I, I think to myself that if i if the, if I will put this market, this house fresh on the market, I'll get movement on it. But because it's 12 months old or nine months old, everyone's like, what's wrong with it? But no, it should be like, maybe Hashem was saving that house for you. Maybe that's exactly the house that was made for you. That's why it's still there. That's how we should think it. Um, so a few other questions you could ask is, do you have any support staff are you the only one that's going to be handling a to z and all in between that's a it's a big job if they're selling two three four homes a year then they probably could do it i used to do it myself you know i have i'm the only one a to z but it could get overwhelming having someone that has their support staff to what if it, if you add on showings back to back six hours sometimes i'm not in the office for so many hours but I know that, like, my clients are being taken care of. So that's super important. If you're away and you're, a new house comes up and you're, you know, off for 10 days, you know that no matter what, your client's still going to get the new listing that came out because another agent's sending it to them. So that's also important. If they have a team, if there are people working with them. Um, another question is, um, asking your agent is, you know, how... how 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 would they be in touch with you? What's your mode of style of communication? I love WhatsApp. I love voice notes. Whoever knows me, I love text message. Um, you know, texting, you know, giving updates and with my clients. But some people just love calls. Like I know that I just have to call a lot of my sellers to get to give them that update. I would love to leave voice notes every week, and I do leave voice notes. But some sellers just love that personal touch, the call. Um, or like the detailed voice note, they just want to hear the voice, not just read the text. So um, find out from your agent, like how are they going to be in touch with you, how often do they send out a new listing once a week, are they sending you out only their exclusives, are they on top of what other agents have. So that's important when you work with an agent, like if they're just sending you their exclusives, what if they don't have what you're looking for, totally could happen. Um, Also, you could ask an agent if in terms of the, you know other things that you might need an attorney a mortgage broker if there's a violation an expediter someone that's like well connected i like to use the word resourceful There's some agents who are just more resourceful like they just could like figure it out and get to the bottom of it um if you're a lot of times you know agents call me up i call other agents up all the time as well but like if they call me up for like a pretty basic question that Either you could Google it, or you could call the attorney that you always work with. You know, you have to have some relationships in this business, and relationships are so important. With attorneys, with um, expeditors, with architects. If you find someone that's resourceful, that's amazing. If your agent has to call up other agents for every single question, that's a problem. I ask brokers and agents things all the time, uh, but then I learn, and it's on. It's in my database. You know, I, I, I help them and they help me so asking your agent about you know are they able to meet those expectations of yours anything specific that you need Um, so yes sometimes people tell me that they want only me to show them the property so I can't work with those buyers like just I will show them the value I have someone in my office that just does showings that's her job she's a showing agent exclusively some people say I'm available to speak to them before or after but if they tell me they only want to work with me and only talk to me on the phone, so maybe it won't work for me. Could be they 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 would want to do it. So it has to be a two-way relationship and you have to find the right fit. Sometimes, you know, another question, a critical question I think is important, asking them for references for other homes that they sold, other buyers, and feel them out, see if it works. So that's you know, that's also important in terms of that relationship that they're going out of the way for you and the home buying process is a big deal. I meet so many buyers who are just like burnt out from the process of buying and it should be such a positive thing. I know we discussed a little bit this last week. It should be such a positive experience of searching for a home and you know moving in but unfortunately it could get stressful like with the negotiations and the buyer gave me this and the seller left you know two refrigerators in the basement that was supposed to take it out. There's so many little things that come up Having an agent that's on your side, and I know it sounds like so cliche, like on your side, but I really see it time and time again, um, the quality of agents. And even within my own office, there's different buyers I'll give to different agents based on their personality. Some need more of the nurturing. Some just like I had one specific client that like a true millennial couple, like I, I love that. Like we had a whatsapp chat the husband the wife and me we would send they would send homes that they want to see i would my office was on it also they they would see homes they would give their feedback it was all through chat like i love that but some people don't like that some of my agents don't like that and some buyers don't like that so it has to work in all aspects and that's basically it so that's critical questions to ask your agent i want to just move on a little bit to the topic of just the actual home buying process again if you want to receive a copy of a home buying guide that has the process in it feel free to reach out so this is I just try to condense it into like you know different steps maybe like 12 steps but and I'll go through them I know we discussed we touched on it you know in previous podcasts And if you want, discuss it further, feel free. So step one, get pre-approved, call your mortgage breaker, discuss your credit income. There's even you know such a thing as credit repair services. If your credit is not great, you could fix that. Sometimes you're in between um, the credit brackets, I guess you would call that. And if you would just up it a notch, a few points, you would get that better rate. So having that, that's number one, getting pre-approved. Number two, begin your home search. Be open-minded when we search for a house as well. Well-priced homes sell quickly. So be open-minded. Keep looking. Just go physically and look. Yes, you could bring kids to open houses. Yes, you don't have to get dressed up. Like I always say, people call me up. Oh, do you mind? You know, me and not want to come to the open house. Can we bring our kids? I'm like, for sure. Especially if you come to our open houses. We always have kid-friendly snacks and prizes and things like that. So step number three, once you find a home, submit a written offer. We always take all our offers in writing. Verbal offers, I say, is not a real offer. I'm sorry. Um, if someone wants to raise their offer and they, you know, let's say they gave me an offer of nine hundred, they went up another thirty thousand. I don't always ask for the updated one in writing. But the first time, give it in writing, it's, you know, in New York, it's not like you're signing a contract with the agent, and like you're it's any binding in any way. You're just submitting a random offer. It's not binding, it's just that you're this is the offer I'm giving in. Basically, it has your terms on there. Every people buyers always ask me what's what's gonna make a deal, what's the bottom line? I'm thinking to myself, whisper it back to them. I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> like I work for my seller, I'm not gonna tell you the bottom line. And if I tell you the seller wants a million and all of a sudden I got a one-one, I mess this my seller up and by telling you the price that you know he really wants. So give an offer in writing. Write your terms. How much total down payment you're putting? You know, is it a con- are you contingent on a mortgage? Are you not? Just put everything down. Are you selling a home? Are you not selling a home? Step number four is you know counter negotiations back and forth, and finally, obviously, an accepted offer. Um, if you give an offer of a million, the seller comes back, and he says, you know, ask price is one two. You give an offer of a million, which is great. Um, if a house is 1-2 and you give an offer of a million as a starting offer, it's actually great in my area that I work in. I would say I, I have noticed a family member was buying in, in Lakewood. And I have noticed that if a house is listed at, I don't know, $480. And you can't give $350. That's like crazy. If they're asking $480, it sells for like $460 to $480. That's what I've been noticing. Um, the margin with, from asking price to giving an offer is much, much smaller, which makes so much sense. But because the homes in Brooklyn, they vary so much. Like every block is its own world. Like the same house on three different blocks within the same zip code could be, you know, hundred thousand less, hundred thousand more, three hundred three hundred thousand more. So true. So I guess that's why we ask significantly higher. So if you give a a one million dollar offer and a house priced at one point two, then the seller comes back, let's say at one one five. So you go back and forth, obviously the seller counters, you don't always have to take that counter. One of the benefits of having an agent is you might know previous offers that people gave in, you could, you know, try to use tactics, how to negotiate back. That's step number four, accepted offer, now you're ready to move forward. Step number five, order a home inspection. Not every home inspector is made equal, I'll tell you that much. I've seen home inspectors who missed out on checking major things like, I have seen termite mud tunnels in front of my eyes and they're like didn't say a word. I'm not gonna bring it up by inspection. I would you know I would I would bring it up if it's my if it's another agent's another agent's buyer, not my not my place to say anything. But if it's my client, I definitely would point out certain, you know, major things um if I feel it needs to be addressed. But yeah, some home inspectors don't forget to check the roof. I have seen my share. So ask around. Sometimes people ask me, if you want, you can reach out to me um, for a home inspector, you know, referrals. But I always say, ask your friends, whoever they're happy with. I like that. Like, I don't always have a hidden agenda. You know, people always, always, always assume that agents have a hidden agenda. Like, hmm, maybe they're getting a kickback. I'm like, right, on the $600 that you're paying the home inspector or $650, whatever it is, I'm getting $20. And that's why I'm referring you. So sometimes things just don't make sense. So that's step number five, order home inspection. Obviously, the homes that I sell are almost 100 years old. I was recently dealing with someone in Lakewood on a property. And they were telling, um, they were saying, oh, what do you, the central air wasn't working or something. And they're like, what do you expect? The home is like 12 years old. I'm like, what? 12 years old? i can That's not old. In Brooklyn, we call it 12 years young. So most of the homes here are like, Built in 1920s which it's actually almost a hundred year old hundred years old so there are always issues there there are going to be asbestos if you're check if you're doing a home inspection in the spring, you probably will find active termites get it fixed, get a warranty usually the companies give you know three four five year three to five year warranty so just get a fixed. the sellers generally treat the termites that's how you know generally nothing is set in stone but generally. If there's a major foundation issue or a beam or support is missing, yeah, that's that's major. You know, if um, all the door hinges are off, that's not major. So just pick and choose your battles. At the end of the day, you are buying a 100-year-old house. There will be issues. But just an active leak, yes, the seller should take care of. That is an issue. If it's an active leak and you know it's coming from the roof and it's, you know, $800 to, to um, you know, Patch it up. Maybe the seller doesn't want to pay for it. And maybe you don't want to walk. Maybe it's worth it for you that eight hundred dollars. So, um, so that's step number five: home inspection. Number six: get together your attorney information. Give it over to the agent with your you know legal names. You put together a deal sheet. Deal sheet basically, or some people call it a term sheet, is where both sides, you know, there's a document the agent puts together. Who's the buyer's name? The buyer's agent. The seller's name. Seller's agent. they're All their attorney information, the terms, the price, everything, when is closing, are the sellers staying after closing, are they paying rent after closing? There's so many different terms that you put in there. That's step number six. And let's not wait to get an attorney after home inspection. Speak to an attorney and just ask around, ask your friends, ask your agent, ask whoever, a real estate attorney not your brother-in-law who just graduated and as an attorney who became an attorney and could do real estate no get a real estate attorney preferably not a family member then they're too close to home i have seen deals that were like totally made no sense but the family member wanted to protect quote unquote I'm all for protection but sometimes when it's like ridiculous terms because it's you're blinded by the fact that it's your family member Like you asked for ridiculous terms, like let them stay in the house for six months for free and the agent and the new buyers have a mortgage of $5,000. That makes zero sense. So just make sure your attorney is a real estate attorney, reasonable. If you need a recommendation, feel free to reach out. Um, Step number seven, buyer signs the contract. The buyer gives 10% of the down payment. Generally, the down payment is 20% or higher. There are places that you could do 5% total down payment. In the areas that I service, generally, s- sellers get 20% and up. So when they see a 5% down, they're like, why should we take that? We have other offers waiting. So um, you s- you give 10% down payment when you sign contract. I have seen 5% by signing contract or 4%. Generally, that means they have a house that they're selling or their f- the funds didn't come in from there. Otherwise, if they're, it's a first time home buyer and they're only putting down three to 5% by signing contract, I will always ask why. I'm not saying I wouldn't uh, tell my seller to take that. I would always like just inquire, why is that? So um, ask your mortgage banker before giving over the check. If if it's from an allowed source, a lot of times it's gifted, it's from a family member. So you will need a signed, you know, signed contract and give the money, give the 10%. Step number eight, the seller signs the contract versus the buyer. Then is the seller. Seller signs contract. And then it is sent to both the attorneys. Once both attorneys get it, it's officially fully executed on both parties. Step number nine, you take that fully executed contract and you could formally apply for a mortgage. You obviously could get your paperwork in before, but you know, you submit an official application. One of the one of the documents, documentations needed is an executed contract. So Sometimes they could take just a signed contract, even though it's not fully executed for the initial part. Depends. Um, Run any changes on your, you know, if you're planning on opening up a new credit card, renting, leasing something, not the time to do it right now, right before, right when you submit an application. Or changing jobs. We recently had that. It throws a curveball and it just, especially changing a job and not notifying your mortgage broker. That's like even crazier. Because then they're calling up, you know, to verify, you know, prove, place of employment sometimes maybe they always do it i don't know but we had that recently and they're like oh they don't work here anymore that's like the last thing that a bank wants to hear so just update everyone step number 10 once everything is in with the bank the bank orders an appraisal basically an appraiser comes down to the house literally takes five to seven minutes they take pictures of everywhere Um, they want to check that everything is running the water and everything make sure that's turned on um, and the bank wants to see what's it worth. What is this house worth? If you're saying that you're buying it for eight hundred thousand, and you know if someone defaults on the mortgage, is it really worth only four hundred thousand? And the bank is over lending you. So generally, I find I don't find any issues lately with appraisals. I had one, you know, six years ago in Marine Park. Um, but generally, the when the appraiser comes down, the buyer is not there. It's just an agent um and you know you could prepare different comparables to show the appraiser sometimes they ask you um that's that step number 11 the mortgage banker processes your loan will ask for more documents and more documents and more documents and that's when sometimes the buyer gets frustrated i keep giving you documents and you want more and they're still going to ask for more you know sometimes you're requesting over a million dollars from the bank you have to understand them they want to make sure that you're they're giving you a million-dollar loan on, yes, They're giving you're buying the house. They're giving you a million dollars or 800000 They want to make sure that you're, like, check, check, checked. So they're going to ask for a lot of documentation, be organized, save everything, and that's that. A lot of times, the clients we work with, they don't have access to computers, so you're more than welcome to come to us to scan in and send it to your mortgage broker. Um. The faster you give given the documents requested, if they send it to you on a Thursday afternoon and you only get it Tuesday morning back to them, it's going to delay things. Then you can't just, when you wake up and say, I want to close, I want to close, I didn't get approved yet. Well, you didn't give it in a timely manner, so that's important. Step number 12, it's the underwriting. The bank reviews all the documents and approves the loan. You have a commitment. The bank says, we're, you know, we're committed to you. We're definitely giving you the loan. But it's a conditional commitment. There's a bunch of conditions on there. They could come back and say, you know, you need to give, you know, these other five documents or these ten documents or two documents. So there's always, they're going to come back and ask for some things more. Some more things. Some things more. That made no sense. As for some more things, um, once you give all that in, you have an official clear to close. See to see, as they call it, the famous words that you could breathe a sigh of relief. Although, I always say it's not over till it's over, but um, it's a clear to close, you're ready, both parties schedule closings, um, and then you, by the actual closing, it's generally a two hour process, two, two and a half hour if you have, you know, financing, if it's a cash deal, definitely could be an hour or so, um, lately I've been finding them two hours or less, even with financing, so by the actual closing, if there are any co-signers they have to come and sign it's the buyers there the sellers are there the uh, both attorneys there's another attorney a bank attorney and the agents come not only to pick up the checks sometimes i'm running late and the the attorney is like don't worry i'll save your check i'm like no i'm there cuz it's such a nice momentum it's a, it's a, it's a great moment like you put so much work into it you see the buyers closing it's great so everyone's there signing it's a lot of signing on the buyers end way more than the sellers end So, I actually forgot one step. After the clear to close, before you actually have the closing table, there's something called the walkthrough. A walkthrough is generally done um, the morning of closing. I like to do it a day or two before closing. If there's something that comes up, we're not in an urgent, like, last-minute rush. So, I like to do it basically what a walkthrough is. Not an opportunity to bring all your family members, Uncle Joe and Aunt, I don't know, Eileen, that's not the time. Basically, you want to see is the house the same way that I have, that it was when I went into contract. You check the heating system. We check the water. If the sellers moved out, we check that it's completely broom swept clean. Is the legal term? Um, Doesn't necessarily. There could be dust on the floor. It doesn't mean that they have to actually sweep. It just means nothing. There's no garbage in the house. There's nothing there. There's no hangers in the closet you know and I love seeing sometimes I take a picture and I post it on my Instagram of sellers some sellers leave the house so beautiful it's like a it's a role model for other sellers sometimes I go and I'm like someone just bought your house for 1.5 million dollars like honestly I know that moving is stressful and you're moving and the movers leave things there's garbage bring a cleaning bring bring someone to clean up they're buying a house they're coming in that nice feeling sometimes I see sellers leave a wine bottle with a nice handwritten note which is very rare do I see that, but it's really beautiful. It's a nice, it means you love your house, you enjoy it and you're giving it over. There's so many last minute stresses that could come up with a buyer and seller. It's just a nice, beautiful way, just like that. I wish like every buyer and seller could just go for dinner together. It's just beautiful. So this is the final walkthrough. Yes, I have seen issues. There's a leak that was not there before. We had that last week. There are different things that could come up and then, you know, it's worked out with the attorneys. We bring it up. Or um, the seller said, you know, I told you I was leaving the chandelier. I was not leaving the chandelier. There's so many, you know, different things. When the seller moved out, they banged the walls. There's holes in the wall. So, yeah, they definitely, you know, give a $1,000. Give whatever it costs to the buyer. Just be be a mensch about it. Um, so that, in a, in a nutshell, is the steps to close. And wanted to thank you once again for joining us. Getting Real with Real Estate, your host, Karen Beffar, real estate broker of the Beffar Team in Brooklyn. Feel free to reach us at office at the or thebeffarteam.com on our website, or for those that prefer calling still, 347 988 2526. Stay tuned every Wednesday at 9 p.m. on SinaiRadio.com. Thanks for listening.